It takes a very steady hand. Conventions. Toys. Star Trek action figures also sold separately. Comics. My spidey sense is tingling. Collectibles. Sold $325. Books. I'm a best-selling author. RPGs. Where the Cheetos? Video games. Grab and peels. Music. Anime. This is the GW Podcast. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to another G2V. I'm Scott Woodard, one of the heads of the giant two-headed Etten. Grab your monster manuals and look that up. And joining me above the other shoulder is head number two and my co-host, Arnold T. Blumberg. Hi, everybody. And we've got uh, we've got an awesome show for you this time, and one big enough to merit two, yes, count it, two special guests. Uh, our first is someone who shares a remarkably familiar surname around these parts. It's Arnold's better half, Stephanie Blumberg. Hello, Stephanie. Hi, everybody. And it's the first time you've ever been on here, shockingly. Yes, it is. I've just been a supporter in the wings, but uh, here I am. Hello, everyone. Awesome. Now, over to our celebrity guest. Uh, He was a popular first season contestant on the TBS show King of the Nerds. He is a self-described dragon lord of game design and marketing, (laughs) currently working on the Outbreak Undead RPG line, and he is the game master in residence for the web series Saving Throw. Joining us from Los Angeles, California, it's Ivan Van Norman. Wow, I feel like I should be coming out of the corner and going straight into a (laughs) boxing match right now. That was amazing. (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. So I have to say, if if you were to our Ettens, does that makes Stephanie and I, can we be Ettens as well, too? Can we go oh, into sure. that? And, th- yeah. and third of all, Ettens, really? That's a- <laughs> <laughs> Well, I had to think it's something that was appropriately two-headed and kind of dopey looking. It's, t- it's, <laughs> it, it's beautiful. It reminds me of uh, Ultima Online. I don't know if you ever played that way back in the oh, days. Yeah. And that was, a, that was a common, like, mid-level monster that you had to contend with. So <laughs> I never, never knew about Ettens until that thing came out. So. Oh, how funny. Um, yeah, hey, how's it going? <laughs> it's going really well. We're really happy to have you. Yeah, here. thanks for bringing me on board. I'm excited to kind of, uh, you know, get to enjoy this space with you guys a little bit and rock talk and hash stuff out. So, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, as I, as I said in the beginning, we... Um, we have this awesome show lined up, and what we're going to do in this one is I'm calling it Game Mastery 101, uh, bas- doing basically a very nice little intro to tabletop RPGs sort of from behind the GM screen, oh, at least from that perspective. Okay. Uh, obviously, a lot of our audience, not not big gamers, but we do know that there are some out there, and uh, but we do hope that the ones who aren't gamers will continue to stay and listen right. to us. <laughs> of course. Don't go away. If you don't yes, play games, don't, don't go, go away right now. <laughs> There'll be jokes and references to lots of other stuff, and I'm definitely going to bring up zombies at some point. So uh, well, we're yeah. going to have a good time with that because that <laughs> yeah. there is, you know, that that's something that we can just go off on forever as far as the zombie stuff goes. So sure, Arnold, you should probably tell Ivan about your background very quickly. Uh, I teach a course in zombies and popular media at University of Baltimore. I'm huh. in the upcoming Doc of the Dead that's just debuting at the South oh. by Southwest Festival. Oh. Um, oh, what else? And co-wrote Zombie Mania, and we're doing a new edition of that book uh, in the next year or so. That's I'm, awesome. I'm all about zombies professionally, so I was I, thrilled to see about your game as well. I totally reached out. I mean, I think we, I think I reached out. Um, I think they were already done doing principal filming, so I think we're just a little bit too late as far as going out to them. It, yeah, they were talking to so many people. I was very happy to to be one of the people that yeah. came the tail end of that. They, I I was being talked to just before they were heading off to Haiti, and I was nice. just hoping they'd make it home. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, well, it's funny because one of my old bosses was on um, the People Versus. So, oh, right, you know, right, of course. Yeah, and he, um, and that was such a good, 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 good uh, series documentary. And um, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm excited to see how this one goes. But yeah, it's funny we've, <laughs> we've, we've actually sent books to a couple professors across um, the state. Well, I haven't gotten one yet, so we'll have to take well, care of that. I was going to say, why do you have to let me know these things? Because otherwise, it's hard to find them. So <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be thrilled. And there'll be plenty of time for us to talk about zombies specifically at some other point. I know right. Scott has a very different plan uh, for this show. So we'll do that, though. But it'll be great. Well, welcome to Zombies 101. Uh, <laughs> Derailed completely into something else. Completely. <laughs> All right, now let's get it back on track. Okay. Let's get it. So, back. game mastering uh, for role playing games in general, the best way that I can possibly describe the um, the hobby, and it is a hobby, you know, just as anything else. And I've all I to this day still describe um, nerdity as just people who are passionate and overly educated about something they love. 
you know? So in every single way, role-playing is just another facet of something that you can find yourself falling into. And uh, the principles is essentially the fact that you go and... Um, make your own world. I mean, we've heard the term role-playing game before because we usually associate it with like video games like you know Final Fantasy and um, World of Warcraft and all these other kind of um, video game world um, analogs. But the, the difference between role-playing games like tabletop role-playing games is that you're taking it kind of to a much more raw and visceral type of experience because instead of living by the formulas of what the game dictates, and that happens a lot in video games, is that you know there is a code and there are graphics and even though there might be a lot of room for choice, there is still always a finite amount of choices that you can make in a video game. But in a tabletop role-playing game, the choices are infinite. And that's because literally the person that you're reacting to is the person who's telling the story. So it's like a choose-your-own-adventure in which you go out and make these choices with somebody telling you the story and reacting to you as you are going through your adventure. So... That makes beautifully clear. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's great. And uh, and and what? Oh, go ahead, Stephanie. That's a kind of essentially why I'm in it too. It's I I'm at by nature a storyteller. I'm right. I, at a very young age. I started with uh, I didn't play with uh, my Barbies the way that most little girls do. I had long and intricate social dramas right. and uh, <laughs> they interacted with one another. You were and, making uh, soap operas even before it was cool to watch. Absolutely. And then, right. like, essentially, I DM because it's illegal to kidnap people and force them to uh, <laughs> to, to play your stories. Play, play your stories. Well, it's um, it's funny that you, you mentioned that because um, go back go back to, like, years and years and years ago, like, the, the history of oral storytelling is pretty much uh, – this is just the next step uh, as far as I'm concerned because the, that was one of the major facets of entertainment before there was any electronic media um, was that people would go around and tell stories, you know? Sure. So the difference here is, is that this is more interactive. This is an interactive version of sitting around a campfire and somebody telling you a story because you get to tell it with them. So I was just going to say it's a, it's exactly what I was just going to say, and the thing that that strikes me too, as you as you describe it that way, is it's very odd that we've reached a point culturally. I mean, obviously now there's a, a sort of a renaissance happening and more of a mainstreaming of a lot of this, but it's odd that we ever reached a point where this seems like something that's marginalized because this is essential and basic human communication. We're all hardwired for that idea of gather around the campfire and enjoy a story. And this is an outgrowth right. of that. And yet, then it became something that was pushed to one side. And well, it's just gamers, a, you know, they never lost it. Yeah, it's just, mm-hmm. a, it's just a different way. And, you know, part of it is because uh, it, it isn't as flashy as, like, you know, putting something on a television screen, you know. And you have to see, you have to have to at least look at, like, at least as far as American culture went at some point, you know, in the 50s when TV and even before then when it was, like, radio was, like, the hot thing mm-hmm. of entertainment media as, like, that visual communication of telling a story was antiquated, you know, sure. because you had new, fun, interesting ways to tell stories. I mean, come on, a radio drama. It's like, you know... Why get involved in the telling of a story when I can, like, listen to these amazing things happen? But, yeah, as you were saying, it is inherent in all of us, and it doesn't make it bad that it's just, an, uh, you know, an older way of doing it. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head when you're saying it's a renaissance we're coming from. It's because we're all kind of getting jaded <laughs> a little bit with um, all the things that are coming out. And it's perfectly fun to actually look in somebody's face and say, hey, what are you going to do? And it's funny you talk about this stuff not being particularly flashy, but uh, I think what I've noticed certainly as as the years have gone on, people are certainly making their a lot of their games flashy. Oh hell yeah! We're getting all the props and you know cardstock terrain and miniatures and everything goes crazy on these tables. Right. And I think in many ways that's really engaging for people who have only grown up with sort of the the video game. Uh, type it's of true. RPG. It's true, and it's um, I've, I have been to many a um, landscape at Gen Con, and I've just been blown away by like the architectural and um, dioramic amazingness that some of these scenescapes and battlescapes that they make for these games. Every time I get something with styrofoam in it, I'm like, okay, if I cut this with the X-Acto knife, <laughs> spray it with some spray paint, we can make some badass terrain out of this. Right? Absolutely, yeah. It's all part, it's all part of the... And that's, the, that's one of the reasons I think people are getting 
Um, or at least I feel like it's always been an appealing thing for people because it's not just a game, it's a hobby. And it really and, engages so many levels of creativity. If you're the kind of person that likes to create, right? then it isn't, it isn't even just about the storytelling. It's about everything that can go along with it. It's pure creation. And I, and I hold true to this day that many of the best games out there were founded on the principles of basic rule mechanics. It's not – this isn't un- uncommon, but like even the original Fallout was based on the modern D20 system. And uh, so many games – I mean, Baldur's Gate is literally – they just took the rules system and um, you know made it uh, – did all the math for you in the game and then just applied rules. They literally just applied rules from the game and put graphics around it with a linear storyline, and that was Baldur's Gate. <laughs> you know? Well, and since we're going back in time a little bit um why don't we talk a little bit about how we got into uh tabletop rpgs what was what was sort of your introduction um i well i'm i'm interested in hearing you guys first so i can kind of get, okay. get a grasp on what's uh where at i'm gonna yeah, go, go ahead stephanie well i'll go well, first because i'm the least of us here <laughs> I, i'm arnold's gonna go make a sandwich yeah i'm the i'm the one with the least um uh hands-on gaming experience uh i've certainly been to a few games that stephanie has run but my main my main memory of role playing games in my childhood was getting together with friends in high school and spending all of our lunch times rolling up characters that we then never used. Right. So that was <laughs> that was pretty much it. So at this point, I'll hand it off to Stephanie then. Well, I have to say my earliest introduction to it would have been probably when I was about seven or eight years old. I was uh, visiting a friend who had an older brother at his house, and I read at a very young age and I saw these fascinating books that he had on his bookshelves with monsters in it and dragons and dryads and I'm like this is really cool what is this and they're like it's it's Dungeons and Dragons do, do you want to play and so you know we you played in then you know the very small sense is this is your this is your character they gave me I think like an elf and just something they already had rolled up and made up some stuff out of out of their head and and I played at you know seven or eight uh, and then fast forward to to high school um, I had some friends who were getting a game together and they're like hey do you want to play and sure so um, that you know I guess lasted from about our sophomore year through our senior year and was great it's been it's 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 my gaming career has been a history of starts and stops i (laughs) so what are you what are you playing now like what are you currently into what's the last thing that you ran 3.5 dungeons and dragons and i ran a special game uh i don't know if you've heard of it it's a special system called dread Yes, I'm extremely familiar mm-hmm. with Dread. So we ran a Dread game close to Halloween. Uh, I had a really awesome uh, sort of possession zombie cool. haunted island kind and of thing. And that was with that Dread. was Halloween time. So that was not. I mean, that was pretty much. That um, wasn't too long ago then, right? Like only about five months. Have you ran yeah. ran anything since then? Well, with the holidays and my gaming and group. Yep. and life and <laughs> yeah. we haven't gotten back together again since then we were supposed to get together beginning of february and yeah and somebody had a family thing and it just hasn't gotten life gets together. well i have to tell you um, i definitely want to talk about dread because dread is an amazing system and i actually uh want to touch a little bit more on arnold uh how you got into it versus stephanie how you got into it because i think it's fascinating how you two basically came into it at two different ends of the spectrum and how one of you carried through to it and the other one didn't. So, Scott, why don't you tell me where you're at with this first and then we can launch into that. Well, I'm the creaky old man here. <laughs> I actually started in, in a roughly about 1978 ah. uh, when my parents, very uh, they, they actually got my brother and I the, the basic set. This was before the red box. Before red box. Yeah, this is the blue one with the, the red old. dragon and the very crudely drawn box set. Um, so that's when I started and pretty much, uh, I mean, I could go into incredible detail for hours, but I won't. Uh, but it was about mid eighties when a few other independent companies started popping up like Paysetter games and companies like that, where I really discovered that this was an incredibly wide, vast world right. that went well beyond D and D. And ever since I've been more or less addicted to it. I, I have a pretty extensive library of RPGs going all the way back to the earliest days. That's awesome. And uh, I continue to run stuff. And of course, I've also been very honored and privileged to have actually worked in the RPG industry Great. 
uh, as a contributor and an editor on over 50 published products for a variety of companies, oh, wow. mainly Savage World. That's so. amazing. Oh, so you, oh, awesome. And I'm certain, do, so do you know Ross Watson and some of the other guys who have uh, freelanced and consulted for them in the past as well, too? Oh, yeah, I know a lot of those guys. You know, you know that Outbreak Undead is under the same publishing house as Savage Worlds, right? No, you mean Studio yep, 2? Or? Yep, Studio oh, okay. 2 carries us. So Very nice. You know. I'll actually be seeing uh, Shane Hensley next week at GameStorm awesome. up here. Well, give him my best. Um, I'm, I'll course. probably end up seeing them because Gamma's next week as well, too. So, right. Um, all it's right, a so big th- world and a small world all at the same time. <laughs> it's amazing. I know, it's beautiful. We've discovered this with our podcast. That's been one of the really fun things about doing this show is the number of people we've spoken to who, who know people that we know. And in many right. cases, people we know very, very well. Right. I know it's insane, and it's so funny because I uh, we come in and out of it because we're one of the few California kids that are that kind of are in this industry. So I literally it's hard because I I do my best to like we all want to be in the same industry together, and we all do our best to make sure everybody takes care of each other because you know everybody who gets into the into the hobby is just another person who could potentially play games. You know, mm-hmm. so there's um, I'm very strict about no addition wars, no rules. You know, no one's no one's better they're just different you know that was a virtual high five i just awesome (laughs) g2b gall staff you have entered the door to the north you are now by yourself standing in a dark room the pungent stench of mildew emanates from the wet dungeon walls they're right next to you. I cast a spell. Where's the Mountain Dew? In the fridge. Duh. I want to cast a spell. Can I have a Mountain Dew? Yes, you can have a Mountain Dew. Just go get it. I can cast any of these, right? On the list? Yes, any any of the first level ones. I'm going to get a soda. Anyone want one? Hey, Graham, I'm not in the room, right? What room? I want to cast magic missile. The room where he's casting all these spells from. He hasn't cast anything yet. I am though, if you'd listen. I'm casting magic missile. Why are you casting magic missile? There's nothing to attack here. I'm attacking the darkness. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to get back into this because I think it's amazingly fascinating. Stephanie, you got into it early and someone gave you a character and asked you up front do you want to play you know and of course your reaction is if someone hands you something fun that you want to engage with you're going to say yes right and i was fascinated by the books too but a a lot of it had to do with the fact that i was i was the tag along they were all older than me sure and they were playing dungeons and dragons and i was like oh can i play and 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 do you know what they didn't do they didn't turn you down they didn't say no you're too young they didn't say no you probably shouldn't be playing something like this they handed you a sheet and then engaged you so that's the first thing that I want to note. And Arnold, um, you ran into what I hear all the time with so many different people. You get stuck in the character creation process because the character creation process, unlike a lot of role-playing games, is very linear. It's like step one, step two, step three, step four. And there are choices that you get to make inside character creation, but by the time you're done with it, you have an A to B. Like, you have a start and an end. But then Mm -hmm. once you do with that, it's like, where do you go from there? And I see so many people who are new into the hobby run into that problem all the time. And it was the the other friends of mine with me at that time. I mean, obviously, you probably already gather more so as as we talk, there's so many things that we all share in common, so many things we love, the same movies, the same books, the same games, all all this stuff. And yet when it comes to gaming, it was one of those threads that I didn't follow through all the time. And that was sort of a dead end at that point for me on that. <laughs> it it was it felt more like uh and, and it's it's fascinating to me, it's someone, you know, you've encountered this so much that it's a common story. It was like the mechanics overrode the potential joy of discovering the worlds. That's the joy of a role playing game is because you ultimately have choice, but that's mm-hmm. also one of its major Hitches. It's made. It's it's major Achilles' heel. Is is that you can have so much choice that it overwhelms, and um, that, so it takes someone who's ultimately dedicated and wants to see the end result so bad that they have a hard time. That they have then they can commit through it all the way. And usually, those people only want the end goal so bad because they've seen it work and they like it. Like Stephanie, she ran into it. She's got to see the joy that people had from playing the game, and that allowed her to kind of burn through the learning curve, so to speak, and get. To to where she is now as a result of it. 
I'll be honest, the fact that my first character was pre-made for me probably eliminated a lot of the, oh, I don't know if I can do this, this may be too much for me, that I might have come into contact with as, you know, an eight-year-old. Well, it's one of the, I think that's one of the, the reasons that uh, gaming at a convention can be so great because you can sort of sample games. You get typically will get handed a pre-generated character. You don't have to worry about that stuff and just get into the storytelling. Right. It's like we've talked about in the past, too, with a few other things, whether you're not when, even when you're not talking about role playing games, even board gaming, other kind of gaming, when the rules and the mechanics can get out of the way quickly, you can get to the get part to the where game. you're at. You get mm-hmm. to the game. Yeah. And actually get to the joy of interaction. Which is why with people who. Pete, when you have a friend teach you how to play a board game, you are more likely to continue to play that board game and uh, instead of having to learn the system yourself. Now, there are just mm-hmm. some people out there who have a mind for wanting to learn new games and then teach them. That's part of the joy. And that is part of the element of, of kind of being a you know, nerdy type of kid anyway, is that if you really like something, you want to share that. <laughs> and you want to have someone experience that same type of joy you do. You know, um, mm-hmm. And with role-playing, it can be hard because the, the time commitment and the sense of uh, the overwhelming intensity of it can sometimes be too much for people. So the question is, if you were to get somebody involved in the hobby now, how would you want to do it? Right. Yeah. Well, that's. I think that's one of the reasons that. I mean, not to you know pick on systems at this point, but I think that's one of the reasons that this uh, stage in my life I was so attracted to something like Savage Worlds because that is a game system that I can teach a non-gamer, and I kind of hate that term, but I can teach somebody who's a, a new to the S- someone who's new the to the hobby. Right. Uh, I, I can basically tell them in three minutes I can get you playing this, and w- as we go along, I'll sh- I'll show you all the other stuff that you need to worry about. Um, but you know, there's always those core rules, and I think that's that's what's so good about a lot of us who has have so much experience as as game masters. We know how to distill a massive pile of rules down to a couple right. of rules because we've chewed you know, it up and we've metabolized it all. <laughs> oh, absolutely, you know? and that's one of the things. It's like. Outbreak Undead and all of its, uh, it's awesome. It's a, we're really happy with what it is. It's a crunchy system when the first time you look at it. If only because the fact that what we've done is we give you a big old toolbox and it gives you all the different tools that you need. The, the, it's so easy to run, Scott, Outbreak Undead. It's so easy to run if you know everything and you've metabolized it, like I said. Because I can pretty much run a game with a non, uh, you know, people who are new to the hobby and I can do it with no preparation whatsoever beforehand and mm-hmm. I can do it open world you know I can completely do it completely randomly just based off numbers and probability so for me since I know the system so well it's the easiest game to run but the problem is is that to get to that place you have to you have to absorb quite a bit right <laughs> uh, so I, I agree with you and the Savage World guys have done it they 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 made something that was really simple and yet engaging and different you know so can i throw something out then because you guys are talking about these systems i'll i'll throw one to stephanie which is why do you use what you use is it the same reason have did you because i've seen you obviously i've seen you running games with long stories that go for long periods of time and you have your team meeting and um she does the full thing you know music and accompanying all sorts of things and but what is it that, that works for you? Is it that you're able to get everybody involved in the story quickly that way because you know that system? Partially. I, I really I, – I, I have a huge love for the Forgotten Realms, and it, it's absolutely my favorite world to play in. Um, I, What's I, not to love? I know. <laughs> well, um, I, I have some anti-feels about Elminster, but um, anyway, we'll, we'll – Maybe not get back to that. It's okay. No, just, you know, it is, again, just it's not, uh, there, again, nothing's better than just different, but people are allowed to have opinions and enjoy the things that they like. That's sure. It. I, I love the Forgotten Realms, but I, I don't like that kind of thing where you meet where you meet famous people like, oh, I'm not going to, my characters aren't going to run into Drist anytime soon. And, you know, 
Errol and Moonblade's not going to come dropping in from the Harpers and say, hey, what's up? But the world itself is so beautifully delineated and has such a rich amount of history behind it that, I mean, if somebody, like if one of my friends said, I want to do pirates or I want to do Vikings or I want to do Gothic or I want to do elves in the forest, I could take that and automatically plug that into a realm that's already there and already has a rich history that I I can, you know, call upon and bring that to the table, which I think makes it so much more of a rich tapestry and a lot more alive to as, you know, players playing a game on paper, sometimes it's hard to get an idea of the richness of the world around you. And I think the Forgotten Realms really, really makes that possible. Um, but the reason why I played Play 3.5 is because 4th Edition took my realms and stomped on it with steel-toed boots. <laughs> uh, well, it's because you got attached to it and, and, you, and you had something that was... Um, that you had kind of built your your identity around, and then they changed it. And that can be one of the main reasons why Edition Wars do exist, is because there is a lineage of people who find something that they enjoy, and then, you know, once it changes, it's, it's like they have to do it all over again, you know? The one thing I'd say, though, too, is that I'm already hearing from all of you, as, as someone, again, who's, who's played the least of, of all of us, and I can't even remember. I don't think I've ever once run anything. I've, I've barely played, so I certainly wouldn't presume that. Is that? And I know this word has come up in many other things we talked about when you're a fan of anything. But passion seems to be a key factor here. And like you were saying, Ivan, about wanting to share things. When you're the storyteller, when you're the one that's actually oh, man, yeah. running the game for everyone else, that has to go to 11 because you... <laughs> You really want to be in that chair mm-hmm. and right. be running that story. And, and, that, and in essence, part of your fun, it seems to me also, is like you said, open world, is rolling with whatever – and I don't mean rolling with dice. I mean like rolling with whatever options might suddenly come your way because of your players making decisions. Absolutely. You need to be – it takes a very unique person to be able to react you know, and to have the flexibility of their story. And that's why you see a lot more players than GMs out there in the world. It just, it's mm-hmm. something that is a phenomenon, and it's not a bad thing you know, because the amount of GMs that we have – uh, you know, obviously, well, for one GM, you can have anywhere from four to eight players usually. So, um, how many players do you usually have in a in a game that you run? I am com- I like four. Four is a perfectly it's a it's a sleepy number for me. I feel like <laughs> I can do that without any problems, and it's a comfortable place for me to run. Uh, I'm okay up to six myself. I've, six? I've yeah, yeah. That, that six is, is I've done twelve. Six, is, <laughs> I, and that's what I was going to say. Six is six is like okay. It's that's like if I were to put uh, four is easy, six is medium, twelve I've, is hard. <laughs> I've, I've run combat what? with nine, and I wanted to chew off my own leg. Yeah, right. it just and the thing is, is what you what you will know and what you'll find out, and this is part of. This is a little more advanced than Gym 101, but the more players you have, the slower things happen. Yes. You know? and I've the, witnessed that, and I've witnessed Stephanie also have to create a storyline that uh, bifurcates. And, and bifurcating is difficult because <laughs> it yeah. makes things even slower sometimes. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and it's, not really, it's, not, yeah, it's not really good for a whole room of people, too, because then you've got people who have to pretend they're not. You now, know, or you have to send them out of the room. It works, yeah. if you have, it works if you have a disciplined group that knows that it's on a schedule. Like if you are yeah. literally, and I know this sounds weird, but if you bifurcate the group and you go, okay, group A, you've got 10 minutes to talk about what you're going to do while I work with group B. And yeah, she did do that. That's that. You know, then you can then you can go and essentially they know they're on a timeline and that's why they can't hem and haw about it. When you go back to them, you're like, OK, we're ready to go. There's no more talking. This is your time for my attention. Let's begin, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, that helps a ton. If you essentially treat it almost like if they were running a, in a tournament or playing in something, um, if you can create that type of need. Uh, for them, so to speak, you know, I especially right, though, that's more like game mastery 201. That's a 201. <laughs> that's a little more, that's a little more, but, but really the, the best thing you can do is, um, I have 
done amazing games in which so much has happened with just me and one other player and the GM, you know? Mm -hmm. So two people is, is a very sweet number, especially when you're first getting into things. Hmm. Um, but four is perfectly fine. I wanted to pick up on uh, essentially what Stephanie was saying in regards to, and again, this isn't an edition wars thing, but when she was saying how fourth edition stomped on Forgotten Realms, right. what we always have to remind ourselves of, and this is something that goes all the way back to the very first editions of the rules, the rules are only guidelines, the buck stops at the GM, right. and it's up to the game master to decide what he wants to do with that world. Right. So if, for example, you were running uh, you know, fourth edition D&D, you could still run it in the old 3.5 or third edition Forgotten Realms. No one is going to stop you from doing right, that. Right, as far as exactly... fluffing. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I mean, it's no, no, please. I'm, I, was gonna, I agree, because at least if you, as long as your story is whatever it is, it can be whatever you make it. So you can totally run 4.0 in Forgotten Realms. Dungeon Master has placed you in a dreadfully precarious position. You're playing the most phenomenal game ever created. Your skin grows cold from your first glimpse of the enormous beast. It's a product of your imagination. Survival depends on a quick, decisive move. Your choices are limited. Stand and fight, or run. Use your lightning bolt. Victory is yours. Win the treasure. TSR Hobbies. Dungeons and Dragons games. Products of your imagination. That's exactly what I'm going to do when D&D Next comes around. I'm sure it's because I, re I really want to try out the system because I've heard some really good things that I participated in the beta and enjoyed looking over the the stuff. I didn't actually play test it yet, but I, I've read all the stuff and I was really excited about it because it seems like it fixes a lot of the things that I didn't like about 4th edition. I, I played 4th edition. I've participated in um, encounters, which I think is a great way to get people into gaming because it's very quick start. And it gives people that want to play that style of gaming a right. lot of outlet to do so. And it's certainly always, it's pretty easy to find an encounters pickup group around. Right. Um, my problem with encounters is that my games are very heavy on storyline and role playing. See, there you go. And that's and that's actually yeah. a very interesting point because there is styles. And that was something that we can get into as far as 101 goes. If you want to get into the hobby, if it's something that feels as compelling to you, understand that there are people out there who like to do encounters. They like to do the, the monster bashing and going through it and doing the loot drops and very... Um, uh, very, it can be very World of Warcrafty feeling, you know. And then there are people who go the heavy storyteller route. There are systems out there that are literally called the storyteller system because <laughs> mm -hmm. they favor rules light and more story. So just I would say tip number one is pick the system that calls to you because there is an option for everybody, you know. And even in the zombie world, if you wanted to run tongue-in-cheek zombies, you know, Ashes, Evil, Dead, and um, Army of Darkness craziness, there is totally systems out there that can do that. And if you want to run really hardcore simulation, um, Walking Dead style, um, Last of Us type of gritty down to earth you know it's not about if you're going to die it's when type of situation <laughs> um then the clock's you know, ticking the clock you know <laughs> then then there are games out there for you it's just about what you feel comfortable with and more importantly what your group wants to play because that's what you need to communicate is whatever i do whenever i get a new group i ask them what their expectations are in the game how they would what type of game they would like to play what style do they want to do heavy story? Do they want to do mostly um, monsters? And yeah, what what are they feeling? What are their expectations of this type of game? Do they do they want like essentially like a popcorn blockbuster storyline, <laughs> or they want something that's really cerebral that gets down to their core sense of humanity? Mm -hmm. So. So you leave it in the players' hands to make that. Decision. I think that's stronger because uh, one of the. At least as far as if you want to be a dynamic GM goes, if you 
I mean, it's your game too as well. If you have a story that you want to run and it's something that it calls to you, then by all means, that's something you can do. But what you want to avoid is something that I have seen with GMs in the past is you get so hung up on every arc of your storyline that if the players deviate, it isn't become fun for you anymore. Right. You know, and I've seen that happen with a couple of like, for example, I was a uh, participant in a 3.5 game and um, the GM had a, an elaborate binder with all the stuff laid out. He's clearly run this game several times, you know, and he had a big group. So we were all playing in part of his world. And we got to a puzzle that one of the players could immediately bypass with a skill. That's it. Just bypass the entire puzzle. The GM fought him tooth, claw, and nail to try to circumvent this skill. He didn't, and to his credit, he didn't outright say, you can't do that, which is the worst thing that you can tell a player, you know? Mm -hmm. But he, he, but he did everything he could to try to save that puzzle, (laughs) you know? Too attached. Yeah. To attach. And then that's the problem is that if you have something that you get really into, and trust me, it's easy. It's happened to me. It's so <laughs> difficult. In fact, I, I've, in LA, I don't know if you guys have heard of Dungeon Master, but there's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a, I was in the cast uh, of there. This is an LA improv group, by the way, in which the improv groups are NPCs, non player characters, and the players are people from the audience, and they run through this improv group together. Um, we completely circumvented their entire storyline. You know, they had props for encounters that were never even busted out, you know, and they probably spent weekends of work doing working on these props for these encounters that never came up in in the show you know but that can will and definitely has happened and uh the 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 point is learning to let go and learning for it to be okay because theoretically that could take it down an interesting route that has never happened to you before and it could be that much fun for both of you yeah. And, it, and I mean, at this point in my life, uh, because I'm just so busy with so many projects and I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a grown up and I have responsibilities. Uh, most of my gaming. Get off is, my lawn. Get off my lawn. <laughs> I'm a curmudgeon. Uh, no, most of my gaming now is uh, when I can do it is is one shot. I mean, I just right. I just I sometimes don't feel like I want to invest uh, the time and energy into something that unfortunately might get dropped for months at a time. Yeah, and you and you don't know. And that's and that's part of the expectations of what you need to set with your players beforehand too. do they just want one offs because Scott if you jumped into a one off and your three other your players are like ready for a six month campaign you guys aren't going to be on the same page and it's not going to be as engaging that's one of the reasons why I think Dread has worked out so well with my group is that just because, you know, we're our big group and everybody's got, you know, lives. And statistically, the more people you have in a group, the more often they're going to have life interfere with arranging times for gaming. Totally. Dread is a really great option for us. Not only – and honestly, I have to say – that a year ago before I discovered it, if somebody had asked me what I've never played a played a game before, I've never role played, what should I try? What should I try first? I right. probably would I would have said three point five because I love it so much. But, but now it's dread, right? You I know. would definitely say dread because <laughs> he, literally the only thing you have to have is a Jenga tower. Right. And so let's let's get Jenga. into what Dread is so that people know what the hell we're talking about real quick. <laughs> so so Dread is, as you were saying, it is a very it's the most rules light and role playing that you possibly can get because the quote unquote character sheet is a 10 question questionnaire. That's it. And it's something that you write up on hand beforehand. And I call it an elaborate, and I call it an elaborate ghost story was basically what dread is. It's because you're kind of telling a story and people are participating inside of it. But instead of rolling dice, they're pulling blocks from a Jenga tower. And if the tower should fall, Stephanie, bad, bad, bad <laughs> things happen. <laughs> Right. You know, speaking again as someone who often feels like an outsider of this stuff, one thing I find is interesting about Dread too is it sounds like the kind of game that really attracts not just because of the simplicity, but because they very wisely and cleverly built themselves upon a pre-existing toy. Right. I mean, by, it, by using the Jenga, and I don't know how many pe- people here remember. I might be I might be dating myself or. I remember very well playing a game out of an old Playboy magazine called Feds and Heads. Anybody heard of that huh. before? No. It was a game that was printed in an old Playboy by uh, um, the guy who did the fabulous Furry Freak Brothers from okay. the Underground Comics. 
And it was a version of Monopoly. And it came with some cards that you cut out and the thing. And it was it involved collecting or having lids as a euphemism huh. for something. And, yeah. and the interesting thing was that apart from the game board, there were no other parts. You had to use toothpicks, or as I remember vividly, and I discovered this as a kid too with friends. Wow. Discovered as a kid. I remember the instructions saying you can use toothpicks for lids, or if you want to, real lids. <laughs> it was like, so there you <laughs> wow. go. There's repurposing in a whole different way. And That's then you got, you got dread with a Jenga tower. By doing something like that, where you build your game on something that is easy to get out of your house or familiar. Or something like that. Seems like that is also lowering the bar for the ease with which you can get into it and to actually right. just start enjoying the game. I just love the fact, Arnold, that you read Playboy for the board games. <laughs> <laughs> I was a kid. I didn't even know what magazine it came from until <laughs> that is beautiful. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Because I was going to say, my memories of Playboy are vastly different. <laughs> for the record, so. oh, trust me, I figured out what it was really for. <laughs> Um, so that's that's fun, and uh, Dread is very. It, it's I I would almost say it almost feels like it was just a perfect accident how that kind of game came into in its existence, you know, because uh, it's a, it already builds suspension just from the use of the tower, and it mm-hmm. takes that element of ghost storytelling and just makes it tangible to your mm-hmm. players, you know. So um, yeah, I mean, so that's a good one. Uh, there are other ones like the fate system is usually oh, yeah. pretty easy to pick up. And then I'm trying to remember. There's one awesome one that is um, Gumshoe. Oh yeah, Gumshoe's very good. Gumshoe's very good for um, people who are wanting rules light games. You know, uh, the neat thing about Gumshoe for those who aren't aware is that. Uh, a lot of RPGs are parts of the plot will be hinged on discovering something, right. a vital clue right. or something like that. And Gumshoe actually makes sure that you do find those things. Right. It's kind of it bypasses things to make sure that your characters do find those things and advances the story. It's a little more linear, but it is about yeah. a, it is about the experience then in that case, right? And in, and I found that especially if you're drinking with friends, linear can sometimes be better. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> most of my games I'm drinking with friends. Right. So. You know, and there's a difference between light and then heavy, you know, so I could I could go I could go off about the game, most popular game in all Mother Russia, not really. Uh, but that's a that's a whole nother topic. So. Inter- interestingly, I, I whenever I'm in social occasion fights, I tend to drink and it's a lot of I, I enjoy doing it in social settings. However, I never drink when I'm gaming because <laughs> I find that it interrupts my focus. And yeah. I mean, I have no problem with it. And I don't mind if my players drink as long as they're not, you know, like sloppy. But right. other than maybe like one, I think the most I've ever had at a gaming session is like one wine cooler ever. Well, that makes sense because you, you, for you, it is about the performance because you are putting your, you're in a mind, you're in a zone and you want to make sure that you're 100% available mentally to be able to react off of your players and you don't want to be muddled by a bunch of alcohol. So right. uh, there, and every GM has their things, their no nos, you know, like the things that they do not allow at their game table. And that's just GM's call. I mean, everyone's different, but it's mostly just about eliminating distractions. You know? Well, let me let me throw something else out because we're uh, getting back. I mean, this is what we're talking about, but also one of the one hundred and one kind of ideas. And I know Scott has brought this up in some other contexts too, which is um, uh, actually I throw it back to you then because you would say it better than me. But you've often asked about the degree to which people make their players adhere to rules and speaking mm-hmm. in and out of character. You you've mentioned well, yeah. I mean, we we had this discussion because because uh, Ivan, you know, we had Dom on. Uh, a couple episodes, right. well, one episode ago, actually. Well, if you're looking at again linear, um, but yeah, we had a, we had a discussion about uh, you know how far do you go at your game table with with your players? Are you are you the type of person who will say that if you say anything in this at the table, it's going to be said in game? You know, or are you more, far more relaxed about it and you know just do do your double check? Are you sure about that? Is that what your character is really going to do? I mean, how far do you go with your games, or do you kind of just does that vary depending on your session? player's choice you know um it i think it comes down to what they want i don't have expectations because it's not my job to have expectations as the gm if that makes any sense Mm -hmm. you know it's my job to give them the experience that they're wanting to do because they're the one playing the game my joy comes from giving them an experience 
inside of the system using the world that I have available to me. So it's not, I'm, I should not be allowed to have expectations. They should be able to do whatever they want. And if I feel like it's, I would want them to get into character, then I'm just going to give them inspiration in order for them to feel comfortable letting those walls down. So if I want them to talk quote unquote in character more, cause I feel like they're not, you know, they're not having a good time, then I'm going to do all of my characters much more extravagant and I'm going to help them open up and so they can make that choice for themselves. But telling them outright, I feel like is a mistake. And what about you, Stephanie? Well, I think there, are, at some point there has to be some level of, of control, uh, at least in the sense that if the game is going to progress and people are going to, you know, have their turns to play, that there has to be some level of, if not control, at least semblance of order. But on the other hand, you're there to have fun. And if people want to take tangents and, you know, have fun and just chat or, you know, put something on television. I mean, we've had tangents at, at our games <laughs> where we, we played Dance Dance Revolution for a while. So. Right. Well, it's better than a Jenga tower, I guess. <laughs> well, there's Although a difference. Playing Dance Dance Revolution with the Jenga tower nearby generally results in that. <laughs> right. It's right. going to become a really bad dread game at that point. <laughs> and uh, um, just, to, just to be different, there's a difference between committing to characters and then distractions, you know? Yeah. Distractions oh, yeah. that are outside of the game, I tend to try to do it like it's almost like you're on a car ride, you know? It's, you know, you're driving, you're driving, everyone's entertaining themselves or doing whatever. If people need a pee break, you should pull the car over let everyone do what they need to do for a few minutes and then get back into it and then get back into mm-hmm. the car. And uh, it's, it's, it's better for me whenever I feel I'm doing it. It's like if, if, if we're going to play like say a six hour session at like hour two, um, you know, give, give everyone a 15 minute if everybody needs it. And then we just get back into it. You know, you're supposed to read your players though. And you know, if they're, if they're on their phones texting, then engage them with something, you know, give yes, them, give exactly. them something to do. Um, so they're not just hanging out. G2V. As I knew it, you were a thief, I was a druid We met while we were drinking I started to talk to rats And you backstabbed a guard While golden coins fell clinking Now we're stuck with a drunken dwarf Ah, oh, plus an older wizard dork Ah, Oh, and we all just agreed to go on a quest, a quest. Just give me a D6, just a little yellow die, just to roll to see the damage I've done to this attacking goblin. I roll the five, and the goblin's still alive, and that's The only thing that I do not allow at my gaming tables anymore is no more baking. (laughs) (laughs) I refuse to let baking happen in the same place as my gaming tables at this moment. I don't think I've ever had to. What do you you have against brownies? (laughs) What do you have against brownies? You can bring brownies. You can bring all the sweets you want, but do not bake brownies during the game. I I can't. I can't argue with that. That sounds like a great rule he's got. <laughs> you know, one, because usually it heats the room up because the oven's on. All right. And two, it's distracted because guess what? Baking involves you having to get up and do things every once in a while. So and flour all over your dragon minis and everything is just falling apart. <sighs> it's like, okay, I mean, okay, go, go, put. Put the sugar in the mix, batter it up. Okay, come back. Let's do this. Let's okay. Let's be, and it's also 
300 degrees in here now. God damn it. You know, it's, it's, I'm sorry. It's the one thing that now officially irks Ivan. <laughs> I, I think that's an appropriate line. I think, I think you found to, it. To, to get back to what you're saying, though, character wise, I have, I insist on people using their heads. Real game consequences for boneheaded stuff. Oh, um, yeah. Best example I can think of is I had a a character who, bless his heart, wanted to play a dragonkin. Um, So I'm like, Uh okay, all right. Uh, How are you going to hide your massive six-foot wings? He's like, okay, well, I've got a coat. Okay, so you've got a coat. So, all right, walking through Waterdeep and the guy in the coat, and it's summer, you know, so obviously, you know, people aren't thinking through the the game consequences of their actions. Right. Uh, Something happens, and a pickpocket steals a rod from one of them and takes to the rooftops. Well, Dragon Boy thinks, "Okay, I'm going to take my coat off and, and spread my wings the air and fly after him in a city full of people." And uh, it turned out to be right around nightfall when this happened, and the city had been having a wow, an incidence of 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 break-ins of robberies uh, yeah. that all happen from the rooftops and oh look here's a guy with wings so you know the city guards had to put him yep. in jail to teach him that it's stupid to spread your wings in public that's fair you could have just had them all shoot him down with crossbow bolts as well yeah. too. So, <laughs> that's what I was thinking you know, that's I know fair. that was remarkably fair actually uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, I had a similar situation in which we were in a campaign in which elves were actually lower class citizens in the realm that uh, he had created outside of it so literally like elves were uh, <laughs> for all intents and purposes they were like lower level workers because oh, they were completely segregated and like uh, dragon age a little, yeah, in in a weird way, in that, like, on the other side of the mountain, they're celebrated, but since there is a weird war going between them, basically they're all POWs and they're all ostracized. And there was one of the player characters who was a half elf who had to go to great lengths to um, t- uh, take care of that little incident of being half blood, to the point of which, at some point, they got an artifact. And um, this this information was hidden from the rest of the players, by the way. She, uh, you know, announced herself as human, even though the GM knew that she was half-elf, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at some point, the players got um, an ancient elven sword that – or I'm sorry, an ancient sword that was from the rebelling the, – the, the empire that hated the elves. And it glowed. It was like – it was like the um, – it was like Sting, but for like elves. Sting. Yeah. yeah, it just glowed around whenever there was elf blood around, and everyone would like. They didn't get it. They didn't get that because it was glowing was because there was a half elf in the party. So whenever like a, the guy would go really far away, he'd be like, "And the sword goes out," and he'd be like, "Oh, it's really weird. I wonder why it does that." <laughs> and then he would come back to the party and be like, "And the sword starts glowing again," and he'd be like, "Ah." Oh. I don't know. Was there goblins around? I'm so confused. <laughs> and we just, I, I knew, I knew that she was half elf, um, just from a little bit of investigative, investigative work that I did with my character. So I just could not stop laughing from well, you know, that actually brings something up that I'm thinking too, between both you and Stephanie and Scott is what about talking about game mastery one on one and a lot of the ideas like to invite people in and to say, here are the ways you can get involved and how much fun it is. But what about the fact that both of you just told stories, too, about you're having fun running a game, knowing something the players don't know? Now there's, you a, get, there's a different there's a, kind of joy in right. being the person behind the screen, sort of. And you, you two said, said, Scott, do you have anything like that where you had something happen that was something you're getting to enjoy that they don't know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've had loads of stories, but I won't get into specifics here. I'd rather he, hear these guys talk. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, well, I I, that's, that's the thing. A, it's... There's, There's an extra- a fine line, yeah. We and you have yeah. to you have to be careful because you don't want to alienate people with too right. much hidden knowledge. You know, right. it's fine if one person wants to do something a little bit extravagant like that. And I personally reward handicaps in my players. That's one of the things that I do in my games a lot. I'm running a Pathfinder game right now, in which the girl got a really crappy stat roll for her character. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that sucks. Normally, I'd say suck it up and deal with it. But I'll tell you what, I'll give you, I'll allow you to re-roll one stat if you take a handicap. And she did. She took a character handicap um, that allowed her to re-roll, and she just incorporated that into her character, you know? There's always ways to reward ingenuity from your players just by 
enabling them to succeed. I guess that's the best thing. Yeah, you know, Savage Worlds, of course, has the Benny system. So right. if you have someone who has, say, a handicap or something like that, you can always reward them with with Bennies or, or some other thing like that. I, I, I love games that systems that do that. In-house currency, in-house currency. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're actually doing it with, um, with Outbreak. We're incorporating it more. We're calling it scenario points or essentially it's like it's in-game currency you get for doing cool shit that you the can rule nice. cool yeah awesome. rule cool yeah so yeah so it's kind of uh i don't know what else do people need to know whenever they're first starting games well one thing that i did want to also mention um we were talking about sort of um whether well how strict our t- our game tables were uh but one thing i always do and and i'm i've got a feeling i know i think stephanie does this too and I, i'm not sure about you ivan but uh i at least try to set moods and what i often will do is i'll either use uh some music some lighting candles I, obviously, I'm a, I'm a minis guy, right. so I always have my miniatures, my props, and my terrain. Uh, are there any things that things like that that you use to sort of set the mood? This the past large campaign that I ran, uh, the the bad for the first leg of it was uh, a demi lich who had a thing about green, and like all of her stuff had like a green theme. Um, and for the very beginning of it, they were on a ship that was sinking. And the the whole ship was limbed with green fire, like um, St. Elmo's fire. And it was the Lich's magic. But to do that, I actually dimmed the, dimmed the lights and I had some uh, candles, like those little pull-tab candles that you, you know, the LEDs that I put under green glass bowls. Hmm. To uh, to have them sort of flicker in the underneath the green glass, which gave it kind of a very cool green undersea sort of look that was you know appropriate for a sinking ship. Um, right. And then to to go back to what you're saying, the item that that they had that you know was a mystery to them, and every time something happened with it, I was just like privately snickering. Uh, I remember this. Every so often, down the hallways of the Lich's underground lair. She had a, a skull on a bracket, and the skulls had eyes that glowed green. And my players were just mystified by these things. It's like, well, if I take it off the bracket, what happens? All the lights, the eyes go out. What happens if I bash it? Uh, well, it breaks. The lights <laughs> first, go out. Wait, first idea, take it off. Second idea, break it. <laughs> so, <laughs> of course. There was, that's, that's... there was a ton of them, so they took, they, they took one with them. And I'm like, this is perfect, because they essentially took the surveillance camera with them oh. in the backpack. So she was always one step ahead of them, and that's they never perfect. could figure it out. And, and finally, it took one other person joining the group, and every so often, I would have them do perception checks, and and it's like you see, you think you saw a green light from the skull's eyes, but you're really not sure, and it's gone now. And then you busted out the green lights again. Yeah, it's uh, it's yeah. it's it's so perfect. And, and one of the things uh, I'll get at is it's so interesting hearing stories. It's like this is one of the joys of role playing is is the stories. It's not just telling the stories, but it's also hearing the trials and tribulations that people go through in their games. So mm-hmm. I can totally relate to that. That's hilarious. I think it's also funny that it's. It's always instinctual. It's like, well, if I can't, if it doesn't do anything, what happens if I just break it? <laughs> you know? And, uh, hit it with a hammer. Hit it with and a there's hammer. always that, that temptation that in the background. It's like, it explodes for 50 million points and you all die. Right, That's, yeah. That would end uh, the game really quickly, yeah. But uh, as far as what I, I don't, I don't like too many doodads, to be honest with you. It does, it is, it's a little distracting for me. Um, mm-hmm. I, one of the GMs that I really look up to actually um, is is I think he's amazing at setting mood, and he usually does it by kind of he does it like the way that television episodes do um, like uh, uh, special episodes that are just for that for that season. You know, like for if you ever watched Avatar: The Last Airbender, they didn't they didn't have a Christmas episode, but there was pretty much in a Christmas episode at one point in there. It's like anytime that you can tell a story, but you're just using elements to set the tone, using the characters you have. That's the stuff that that I love. Like, um, real short example, the campaign that I was doing with just one other guy, so it was just two of us in the GM. He had a game that didn't do didn't really progress us much in the storyline, but it was perfectly 
it was a horror whole theme, you know? And so we were stuck in this haunted house and the battle ended with this flesh golem that was made from the, from, uh, cause it was an or it was, it was an orphanage. And so the flesh golems were made with all of the bodies of the children that were in the orphanage. Oh my God. Oh my God it, that's so horrifyingly sad. And it was just repurposing material. Right. That's, that's right. And the and the they were, you could either fight it outright and deal and in his case he was like if you fight it outright you deal with the moral damage like he just it was almost mm. like he, he almost like took a book Cthulhu wise from it with like sanity points or you could he had he had a <laughs> I kid you not it in the attic was a box full of toys that you could use to distract the flesh golems to escape <laughs> I love it right? wow. But the point is, is he set a theme, he set a tone in the campaign by using elements in the game. We still had minis, we still had stuff, but it didn't, I love mood music and I love stuff like that, but too much of it can detract from the game a little bit, in my opinion. Oh yeah, ultimately Mm -hmm. it it all comes from everybody interacting. That's right. where it really comes from. Sure. Right. And, I've never worn a robe at my game table. <laughs> but and I but I have and one of the one of the things that you can do one of the I don't know if you've you've ever heard of these guys Stephanie but there's um oh god I forgot the company's name already but the, he made background loops for role playing games. There are 10 minute loops that you can literally just put on repeat. And you don't have to set a playlist or anything. And it's not musical, so there's no crescendos. There's no, like, things to disrupt your flow. It's just literally background sounds. for Just environmental stuff, you mean? Just environmental stuff. He's a... He's a Hollywood sound designer, so he does this for, you know, games. He does this for movies and um, for the professional entertainment industry anyway. So he made like 180 different background loops and put it up on Kickstarter and did uh, really well with it. And I have all those loops. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, along the same lines, like Midnight Syndicate, they do a lot of stuff that's really suitable for gaming. I use a lot of their stuff, actually. Yeah, yeah. And of course, Paul and Storm, they've, they've got a soundboard they're working on. It's going right. to have all sorts of fun RPG cues for, for your game. And stuff that's easy like that, and if it's something you're willing to put your time and effort into, awesome. But don't. But what I don't want is you're in the middle of trying to like describe you know, your, your encounter, and you're like, oh, let me boot the tablet up and uh, get the soundboard up. And hold on, guys, <laughs> hold on. This is really cool. Trust me. And boom. Okay. All right, I've never done that. It's always from the outset. As soon as I sit down, it's already underway. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's that's a good that's a good thing. The pre-setting tables up beforehand is always fun. But then there could always be the situation in which you don't get to that part of the story. Um, mm-hmm. So that's true. Well, any any uh, advice you might give, uh, just uh, sort of off the top of your head, to uh, an aspiring GM who maybe is a little intimidated okay. but really really wants to do if it? If you've never GM'd before, play a game. If you've played before and you're considering getting into being a GM, I would run a system, a standalone system, a one-off game in the system that you want to play with template characters. You know, um, if especially if all of your people are new, if you're in if you're trying out a new system, it's not as big of a deal. Like if you've played systems beforehand, but if you're a brand new GM and all of your friends are brand new to role playing games, then I would just find the system that you like and find a one off system, a one off campaign with templated characters and run that campaign, you know, and understand that it's going to probably be a little choppy. But that's okay. That's not. That's one that somebody else made, and if it doesn't work out, it wasn't a thing that you put hours and hours of time and effort and design into. You know what I mean? And as mm-hmm. soon as it starts feeling comfortable, then you can incorporate your own things into it and go crazy. Now, if you're a person who's new to the hobby and you have friends who do play and you are considering GM GMing, play a few games, you know, and then hop into it afterwards, you know? Like, it's it's always better to look at the perspective of a player before you jump into the seat of a GM um, than vice versa. And Stephanie? I guess what I would say is don't let the rules intimidate you. Yes. 
for years, I was, I, you know, I've been playing for a long time, but I'd never thought of GMing. And every time I thought, well, it might be fun, like, oh my God, I don't know all the rules. It would be awful. I can't, I, I wouldn't be able to, you know, do it on the fly. And then I realized all of a sudden that I didn't have to know all the rules because I've got the books and I could always look it up if I need to. Um, right. And of course, then my first game, somebody threw grapple at me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's always grapple. It's, it's always, always grapple. grapple. Bested by grapple. Everybody always wants to throw someone or throw something mm-hmm. or wrestle somebody, especially at lower levels, you know. So I agree with Stephanie. Don't don't let the rules um restrict you, you know. Yeah. The GM the GM is always has the final word. Yeah. And just just let it just let it play out. That's the most important thing is that you're playing the game and you're having fun and don't let the rules get in the way. And I, I take it even one step further, Scott make sure that you're having a good time and don't get so attached to quote unquote, the outcome of the game, you know? Absolutely. Um, I, one of my first role-playing experience when I was, or Stephanie's age, uh, I was actually a GM. I ran a game. I didn't even play. I was just jumping right into GMing. And I had made this little uh, storyline that I was wanting to play with my friends. And my friends didn't take it serious one little bit. We were all like 10 years old. All they wanted to do was get the butcher knives that they bought at the local store and chop up goblin balls and fry it. <laughs> That's, that is what they wanted to do. And I was so offended that they weren't willing to participate in my little story that I made that it ruined mm-hmm. it. It ruined it for everybody, you know. Had I had just totally let them do what they wanted to do and have fun and then just guide it the way that it, you know, I thought would be enjoyable for them, then we all would have had a good time, you know. So don't set yourself up with expectations. Yeah, you'll be thwarted by goblin balls. You'll be thwarted by goblin balls because they could have had, little, you know, <laughs> they could have just had tasty little omelets, you know, uh, in their post-adventuring world. Had I not just been so stuck up and high off my own, you know, story. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that what? Well, I think this. Is that, yeah, I think that's great, and I, I think we're probably at a good stopping point sure. here. Yeah. Um, this has been a really phenomenal uh, chat. Oh, it's oh, been great having you oh, on. Oh, you have oh, something else. Oh, by the way, we're doing. Yeah. You probably know this already because you listened to the last uh, to the last episode. But go check out Saving Throw. You know. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. We're definitely gonna we're gonna definitely not only give a shout out uh, as we close, but uh, we will definitely have the links and everything in our show notes on our website. Awesome. Yeah, because this is it's funny because we're talking about. GMing 101, and that's really what we're trying to do with this, is try to, you know, take the hobby of role-playing and put it into little bite-sized chunks that make it chewable, instead of eating the entire whale, you know, which it feels like when you first get into this hobby. Absolutely. And uh, and as as this episode goes out, you guys have just a few more days left, so hopefully people listening, pop on over there, toss a few gold pieces at these guys. We really want to make this show a reality. Yeah. And uh, like I said, all the links, uh, the link will be in the show notes, and you can go there and, and uh, follow it. And yeah, and really appreciate you guys letting me hang out, and Stephanie, it's nice to reminisce and tell stories about each other's wily adventures. Indeed. <laughs> It's been great. So, yeah, big thanks to our guests, Ivan Van Norman and Stephanie Blumberg. And thank you so much for joining us, guys. It's been a great show. Thanks for listening to this episode of G2V. Pop on over to G2VPodcast.com for links to all our episodes, as well as show notes and our Three is a Magic Number series. Subscribe to us on iTunes, and please rate and review us while you're there. Follow us on Twitter at G2VPodcast. Join our Facebook page. And our email address is contact at g2vpodcast.com. Wizard cast his only spell. Oh, oh, just pretend to be your friend. To take your stuff. Your stuff. Oh, your stuff.